Hey everyone, I'm Bev and this is the People at Work podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Jostle, the creator of an employee intranet that's helping connect people to everything that matters to them during their workday. And at the same time, we're really interested in what's actually happening in the world of work. So we're having conversations like the one I'm going to have today on this podcast to really unpack what's going on in the world of work as it relates to employee experience, workplace culture, and leadership practices that are taking us to creating better work experiences for everyone around the world. So I'm delighted to welcome two guests onto the show today. Um, I have Lisa Haffenberg and Chip Walker from Strawberry Frog. And uh, Lisa is the head of movement inside at Strawberry Frog and Chip is the partner and head of strategy at the same company. So welcome to both of you. It's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you, Beth. Great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you. Fabulous. So we've got a really interesting conversation to get into today. We're going to be talking about activating brand purpose. Um, but before we do that, um, you know, from what I've read about Strawberry Frog, you are an independent full funnel marketing, advertising and design company. But you call yourselves the brand purpose activation company, which I was really curious about. So, um, Chip, could you help me understand what that actually means? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, we started out uh, over 20 years ago uh, and have sort of historically uh, been known in the marketplace as kind of a, a movement marketing uh, firm. We sort of popularized that that concept of uh, helping people and companies and organizations lead lead movements. And um, the way that that's evolved over time is in the in the past few years, um, the topic of purpose has come up over and over again. It seems to be the number one thing on the the minds of clients who who come to us. Um, and uh, purpose, what do you do with it? How, how do we find our purpose? But probably more importantly, what, what do we do with it? How do you actually do, do purpose? Um, and it uh, started to occur to um, several of us at Strawberry Frog a couple, three years ago that, well, you know, one way to think about uh, a movement is that it's actually purpose activated. Um, so it's sort of a corollary to our whole background as being a movement marketing company and that being our, our expertise. It's just we're sort of applying movement thinking in a new way to helping companies do something they're having a really hard time with, which is actually doing something with their purpose. Yeah, I really like the distinction you make between just having a purpose and actually activating your purpose, right? Because you can write it up on the wall and you can have your mission statement and you can be focused on this, you know, why you're here. But actually doing something about it, I think, is, is quite different, which I think is where you bring quite a different spin on it and, and really help your customers bring it to life, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yes, that's true. So, so we do help uh, clients sort of identify their purpose where they need to. But more often, what we find is that when a company will come to us, um, not only do they have a purpose, sometimes they've been through two or three rounds of developing a purpose. They'll develop it. You know, purpose is by its nature very lofty often if it's going to be inspiring. So they'll, they'll have a consultant and they'll develop a purpose and then no one else knows what to do with it. So they'll do that again and no one knows what to do with it. Um, and, and so um, it's usually less about identifying purpose and more, as I said, about, about uh, how do we activate it. Yeah, and one thing I, I wanted to ask you about having read your book, and we're going to touch a little bit on the book a bit later on, but um, you do make this distinction between your why and an activated purpose. Um, and we all know how popularized this whole notion of finding your why has become. Um, can you help us just quickly understand, like, why do we have to do more than knowing our why? Right, right. Um, well, a, a lot of times, um, you know, 
having a why, knowing what your why can be a good sort of organizing principle for a company. Uh, it can help you sort of align stakeholders and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but if you've not articulated your why in such a way that people know what to do with it, then it, it becomes um, sort of um, office decor. Uh, in other words, it'll, it'll be a poster up on the wall. It'll be a, a slogan on uh, a coffee mug. Um, and then what happens is six months later, it's forgotten about. Um, it, it's just it's something on the about section of your website. And, uh, and nothing happens. And almost always when a company goes through a purpose exercise, they're looking for something to change. Uh, so failure to have a purpose that you can activate is not going to lead to any kind of change. Uh, and, and if anything, well, I think encourage apathy and, and lead, um, lead to a lot of cynicism on the part of internal constituencies. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And, and Lisa, from your perspective, um, how do you make sense of brand purpose and how do you live and breathe that uh, internally, even for Strawberry Frog in your own business? That's a good question. I mean, both for us internally as a company, but also with our clients. Um, when it comes to working inside organizations, we really think about how we can activate people through purpose. Uh, which could help then with everything from employee engagement and you mentioned people experience before, et cetera. Um, and, and we kind of break it down. The, the activating part is in there, like inspiring is a key word. So we can inspire meaningful change and also with, you know, as little disruption as possible, especially in these turbulent times when the whole world is, is, is very disruptive internally we might just want that so inspiring is key and then as for the the people parts that's really the engagement and in engaging employees uh, it could also be creating you know engaging them to create a resilient culture which is obviously something that people are organizations are really looking for at this time um and then coming back to you know the through the purpose part the purpose is really uh, a little bit what chip touched on before it's really the galvanizing and this in this case, it's the employees. So can you galvanize them around well-being, around shared values, around a sense of belonging? So that's how we make sense of the, the uh, activating purpose internally inside organizations with, with employees. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like us at Jostle where, you know, we are creating this, this um, philosophy around what we think is important for connecting employees within an organization, right? You've really got to walk the talk. Like if you believe that you've got, you know, this, this way of making sense of the world, you've really got to live it, right? And I, I'm sure that you do hold yourselves to a very high standard within your own organization. Um, so much so, Chip, that you and your, um, one of your partners at Strawberry Frog just recently released a book called Activate Brand Purpose. Um, and in this book, which um, I've really been enjoyed um, digging into over the last few weeks here, it, like you really are looking at, you know, what is brand purpose, first of all, and then introducing this notion of movement thinking mindset. Um, so perhaps you can talk through like, what is this movement thinking mindset? And then how does it actually relate to brand purpose? Right, right. Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, brand purpose by nature, often lofty and a bit abstract in, in nature. Uh, and um, it, and well, so one of the problems we run into is that, you know, people can't really join a purpose, uh, but you can join a movement inspired by the purpose. So what movement does is usually take a, a purpose and put a lens on it that makes it much easier to activate. And uh, I think the easiest way to explain that is to give you an example. 
So a few years ago, we had a uh, bank come to us uh, called SunTrust. It's a very large bank in the United States. And uh, they had developed a purpose, but they were at the situation that I, I was mentioned earlier where they weren't quite sure what to do with it. Uh, and they really liked their purpose. Um, it was uh, lighting the way to financial well-being was their purpose or is their purpose. Um, and, um, you know, they liked it, but, but again, you know, a, a big part of, um, it, it, uh, motivating folks on the inside is giving them reason to want to get up and go to work every day and lighting the way to feel well-being seems a little vague as a, an everyday motivator. <laughs> so what we did was, uh, we went out and looked at culture to sort of say, is there a way we can interpret this pur purpose in a way that would be a galvanizing, um, uh, idea? an idea that you would really want to join in on and be part of and tell people about. Uh, is there sort of a, a wrong out in the world that we could help make right in a way that our employees and all of our stakeholders would want to join in on? And this was coming out of, this was around 2015, coming out of, still coming out of the recession um, of uh, 2008. And uh, I think what we noticed was that in the United States, that there were a lot of people who were still struggling financially. In fact, most people were still struggling financially. The uh, recovery just wasn't happening for so many people. Uh, and, uh, you know, over half the population had trouble coming up with, you know, a thousand bucks in the case of emergency. Um, and a lot of uh, financial stress out there. Um, and um, we, we sort of hit on this notion of that, um, as a, as sort of a movement that, that SunTrust could start was this notion of, could we identify an enemy of financial stress out there and be the company that helps Americans gain financial confidence? Uh, and that became the lens over which we put their, their, their purpose, uh, to create this movement. We ended up, the, the nickname for the movement was on up, uh, onwards and upwards, but it was really all about helping America be financially confident. So all of a sudden employees starting to say, okay, that is why I get up every day. I'm here to help make my customers, my, my uh, clients, uh, have greater financial confidence. So we launched it internally first. It was a huge hit with employees. Um, they, it was easy to understand. It was less lofty. It was more, um, tangible and it gave him a sense of sort of uh, a mission in the world, um, that sort of, uh, uh for, for the good. Uh, it was huge hit inside the company, huge hit outside the company. We ended up having uh, over 5 million people join the movement. Um, so that's just an example of how you can reframe purpose in movement terms. A movement term usually involves a sort of, as I said, identifying a change you want to see in the world, understanding an enemy that's sort of standing in the way of that change, and then taking a stand for something like financial confidence. Um, that, um, as I said, it can put a lens on purpose that makes it much easier to act upon. Yeah. And I guess a couple of questions coming out of that is, um, you know, first of all, how do you create something that is practical and relatable and inspiring enough to, for people to want to be part of while still satisfying your core business objectives? Like, for, you know, most businesses, most businesses aren't, are in it for profit, right? So um, there's a bit of this tension, right, between this purpose versus profit. So maybe talk a little bit about that if you can. Well, we, we usually, we look out into culture for some uh, intersection between um, a company's business interest and the, the needs of society and, and the world. So obviously for SunTrust, we didn't go out and think about something completely unrelated to finance. Financial confidence is obviously something very, very related to something their customers need, whether they're businesses or, or individual consumers. 
So that was a natural sort of intersection of, of uh, business uh, need and things that, that people in the world were. So we look for that intersection. I mean, I can give you another example. Um, this one's a little bit older, but I don't know if you're familiar with a car. It's called a smart car. Um, it's sort of a, a small, the tiny little car. Um, sure. Yeah. So we helped with the launch of that car years ago. Um, and the, you know, I think the easiest way to think about that, about sort of positioning and talking about that car and that company um, was about it uh, saving people money. Um, you know, it uses less gas. Um, it's uh, convenient. You can park it more easily. Um, I think that that was sort of the uh, easy way to think about things, uh, it, it, you know, trying to appeal to, to people's pocketbooks and their sense of time. But when we took a step back and looked at what is the need out in the world and what is their business need, um, we came up with this notion that what they were an enemy for them was really kind of this notion of like um, kind of dumb overconsumption, that the world is filled with all these SUVs and unnecessary wasteful uh, automobiles that, that guzzle gas and hurt the environment. Um, and we really uh, sort of uh, hit upon this notion of, of a movement for for uh, smart card that was kind of against sort of stupidly over consuming, and for sort of a smarter and more conscious way of consuming, and so again, and the movement was called against dumb, but it was really about smart, conscious consuming. Uh, so that's just another example where we went out in culture in the world to find a big issue people really care about and could get motivated behind, and employees can get behind, and one that fit very much with their business goal and the actual uh, automobile itself. So you don't yeah. really have to choose between serving your business and your, your business goals and uh, do, doing something that makes the world a better place, we, we, we think. No, and I, I tend to see things the same way. And, um, you know, as we've been talking around this, this notion of this galvanizing idea, it really starts to help me understand how you would take something that can be quite lofty and bring it down to a very practical um, movement oriented or, or something that feels like it's alive, right? Versus something that is purpose, which is very static. Right. Um, so my related question, maybe I'll direct this to Lisa is, um, how do you actually tie in this notion of a gal galvanizing idea into, um, metrics like employee engagement and impact on, on workplace culture, um, when you're actually building these movements within these organizations? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And part of it ties back to what you just asked, Chip, and what he answered is a movement should always solve a business problem. Uh, so even when we're looking at solving for people problems and people channel uh, challenges, we do look at what is the underlying business problem. Um, and as we know, purpose we know nowadays is good for business. We actually just hosted a purpose summit where some of today's most influential leaders shared how purpose is really driving their business strategies. And we also know that it's, you know, more broadly understood today that purpose also goes hand in hand with people first. So the employee and human centric approach that we, we always try to take. And people first is also good for business. So we really think that if we can tie those things together and really try to solve what the, what the real challenge is here, uh, we can help, uh, Gal, you mentioned galvanizing employees in terms of engagement, in terms of looking at 
the people experience, just like, you know, our, our, our heritage, our legacy is from the external marketing world where everybody spends millions of dollars looking at the customer experience. We take the same lens looking at what is the employee experience? What is the employee journey? Through that journey, what are the moments that really matter to this employee from beginning to end? And being able to activate people around the purpose like we talked about, but having the overarching movement on top, while we can still find really uh, things for people to participate because a movement will never be successful and never spread unless it is a... Um, unless it is able to participate and have this grassroots effect where it spreads from one to the other. So finding the things that people can do, that people can participate under the umbrella of an overarching movement that encompasses the purpose, the purpose of the, of, of the organization. Uh, so we think combining all of that is where, you know, we can really unlock the engagement that people are, that companies are looking for, uh, to find people wanting to participate, wanting to be part of it, wanting change, uh, and not only being a top-down mandate from from the leadership. I was interested to hear you you talk about um, this, you know, more of the grassroots adoption and uptake of these movements. And so my my next question would be around. How are you advising your customers to enable their employees to actually take these the, the principles of their movement and actually run with it? Because I would imagine that you need people to sort of get excited about it, take it into their own hands and actually help it grow, right? And, and some companies might not be comfortable with the freedom that they need to provide their employees to actually let it live and breathe. Um, or, or do you find that when people get excited about something, they just naturally just let it go and it, it just grows on its own? Well, I, I can add a perspective and I'm sure Lisa can, um, <clears throat> um, can build on this or maybe has, has a different thought, but, um, as you go to activate a movement and we really, um, studied this a lot as we were writing the book based on all the experiences we've had, you know, so how do you, how do you start to mobilize a, a movement inside of a company? Uh, we looked at a lot of research that had been done. As I said, we looked at our own experience and uh, we sort of landed on this co concept of top down, bottom up, middle out. So by that, I mean, um, you know, yes, it, it's important to have a galvanizing idea that works at a grassroots level, uh, but it can't just be employees excited about an idea. If they don't feel like it's coming from the top, that it has support from the top and that it has kind of a mandate coming from the top that, that leadership is behind this and supports it, um, things tend to fall apart. Similarly, um, there's been some interesting research that's been done. It was actually at Harvard Business School where they looked at uh, companies that had been the most successful financially uh, that were purpose-driven. And what they found was that a missing link that would make them different was that um, not only did top management endorse the purpose, not only was it um, exciting at a grassroots level, middle management, was um, on board. Middle management seems to be the glue, which kind of makes sense. If you've got the top buying in, you want to get the bottom excited, the conduit to that, it's got to be middle management. So that's the reason we say you really need all three of those things working if you're going to create a groundswell at a, at a grassroots level. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I think, carry on, Lisa. 
No, it's just going to add to that. I mean, I, I I'm totally, um, totally agree with what Chip is saying, but you asked like, how can you really mobilize also? So, so one thing that we do internally is again, we, we use our, 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 our heritage in external marketing where we know what really makes people tick and what gets people excited. So everything we do, we create is, is really um, consumer grade. If it's experiences and, and you know, in the, every talent journey, is if it's communication internally. So trying to create engaging material that people really want to participate, they want to, to, uh, to activate themselves. So I think that is, that is a key that whatever we do internally, has to be exciting. Um, I mean, every employee before they're an employee is, is a consumer and they see exciting stuff in their consumer life all day long. And before they're a consumer, they're just a person. So whatever uh, in this human approach, whatever makes the person tick and get excited, we use that same lens on everything we do and uh, mobilizing people in internally as well. And, and that also goes, which Chip mentioned that when it comes to the middle management as well, we do a lot of training, uh, a lot of coaching and uh, middle management is key. And, but it has to also be things that, that, that make them excited, that make them want to, uh, to uh, be able to, to, to spread the movement and, and make it, uh, you know, continuously uh, evolve inside the company. Yeah, I would imagine that you also need it to be authentic and uh, have the key management uh, involvement be very committed to it and living and breathing it themselves, right? I would see that as being a key part of it. And what I'd like to find out from you related to that is how do we avoid um, purpose washing where, you know, you are touting a purpose, but you're actually not living and breathing it. Like, how do you help companies avoid that pitfall in their journey? Um, well, I could jump in on that one. Um, so um, I think a lot of it comes down to sort of purpose definition and framing uh, just to start out with. Um, and, you know, I think that there's sort of um, got to be an overlap between, you know, your aspiration as a company and who you want to be and your company and your core, your, your brand's uh, DNA. I think that that's where a lot of companies and brands and organizations go off the rails in terms of authenticity is when there's not a good overlap between those two things. And um, I hate to point fingers companies, but uh, the easiest way to think about it is my example. Uh, the, the one I love to give is because it's just su such a, um, a glaring um, mismatch. And uh, I think got called out a lot as being inauthentic is um, Gillette. Gillette came out three, four, maybe five years ago now with this whole uh, sort of um, line of thinking around um, toxic masculinity. Um, and they, you know, I think some people applauded them, but I think a lot more people were like, really, what, what, why are you saying this? It seemed inauthentic because as a brand, they hadn't been, you know, had never talked anything about this before. They had been all about the best a man can get. Uh, they were really more kind of about a dominant male culture and alpha male culture. And all of a sudden they're coming out of nowhere talking about toxic masculinity. And it just seemed not only like a disconnect, but it seemed disingenuous. Like they might just be doing this to stir up controversy and to uh, get attention for themselves. So bad match between their own DNA and, and who people know them to be 
and, and what it is they're trying to go out there and be purposeful about. So I, I think that's the root cause of, of a lot of the purpose washing issue. The other thing is just that when your actions uh, don't match your intentions, um, you know, Nike's gotten in trouble for, uh, you know, touting um, and sort of being supportive of Black Lives Matter, supposedly, um, yet their own executive ranks were way underrepresented with, uh, with, with people of color. Uh, and so, you know, th these days, everything is so transparent, you're going to get called out on those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to ask both of you around, you know, just over the past year, there's been a number of examples where social purpose has come to the fore for organizations and Black Lives Matter is one of those examples. And we've seen lots of companies and brands who have been openly um, supportive on their Instagram feed of, you know, the, the movement, but not actually doing much to follow it up internally or, um, you know, beyond the black square on, you know, their social media. So um, what do companies need to be thinking about around like the impact that that has for their own culture and the way that their own people feel like when they come to work every day, if they feel like their, their brand is being disingenuous? or just not following through on what they say they believe in? Well, one of the things though, that I'm going to say to that, I've had this question asked a lot and I thought a lot about it, um, because some companies I think may end up becoming hesitant to try to have social purpose just because they're not perfect right now. Like, you know, they're not doing everything. All the eyes are not dotted, all the T's are not crossed. It's something new. And uh, I would just hate to create an environment where companies don't feel like they can at least make an effort, um, even if they don't have everything right right now. Um, so, so to me, I think as long as you can point as a company to what your intention is, that you are doing some things now, and kind of where you want to go. Um, I mean, to me, that that's that. I think that should be sufficient to at least get started. As opposed to, okay, we're not going to do anything until we get things perfect. And I think employees will come along with you if you, if you would do at least that. I don't know, Elisa, do you agree? Yeah, I totally, yeah, I totally agree on it. And, and I mean, today it is the employee's market, right? We know that basically now uh, people are, are, are to a larger extent going to be able to choose where and even when they want to work. And, and they will see through if their employee are doing something that is not authentic. But like we know empathy, how it's more important than ever. So a leader just showing the empathy, saying we are not there yet. We are not perfect, like Chip is saying. We don't yet have the percentage right. We didn't have not yet, you know, gone through all the DEI work that we need to do through that lens and everything we do. Uh, but we, this is the plan. This is where we want to go. Um, and I mean, now if you look at all the data is out there, see how people, how you know, especially a little bit the younger generation, everything they would give up to work for a purposeful company, you know, in terms of compensation and all of that. So I think just showing the intent, being extremely empathetic from the leadership point of view uh, will get you, um, you know, help you get the, the right people that you want to either keep, because we also know it's a market where there is a lot of, of uh, volatility and, and a lot of people and looking at, at changing where they are, their situation right now. And also attracting the, the talent that that you really want to to create this new you know dynamic resilient organization for for the future. 
Yeah, that, that's a great segue into my next question for both of you around, uh, it's been a tumultuous 18 months plus for all of us, um, but you know, for the world of work, things have changed irrevocably. We're not going back to the way things were and thankfully so. Um, so why are brand purpose and movement thinking so critical now for leaders as we stand on the precipice of the next age of work? Yeah, uh, well, I think a lot of the problems that um, uh, leaders are using purpose to address um, were just <clears throat> exacerbated by the, um, by the, uh, the pandemic. How do you build a strong culture? How do you align all your stakeholders around a common vision? Um, or or uh, even bigger, how do you achieve culture change? Um, it seems like most companies feel like not only, even if they have a strong culture, there's something they want to change about it. How do you do this in either a remote work situation, a hybrid situation, um, a situation where, you know, people are now, you know, not only not in the same city, they may not even be in the same country. Like Lisa's in Sweden and I'm in New York and yet we work together all the time. So, I, so as I said, I think purpose is often a, a tool used to address all those issues and those issues have just gotten worse. So it just makes purpose, understanding purpose and activating purpose that much more important. What about from your perspective, Lisa? No, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think also, um, I mean, we believe that like the top-down leadership is kind of over, top-down as in do this because I tell you to do it. And we feel a movement is really the difference between this top-down leadership and more of a cross-company leadership, which is much more in the part that we'll do it because we all want to do it, because it matters to us and we want to be here. So so we we don't believe really you can su su successfully lead an, an organization in, in this new environment that we're living in with a mandate anymore, but we believe that you know, you can with the movements because it comes back to the activation, not the lofty purpose, but the activation and the participation. Make sure that people want to be part of something bigger, but they have tools to participate and actually kind of own own their workplace in, in, in that perspective moving forward. You know, the, the other thing I would say that I feel like I've seen over the past 12 months um, is that, you know, I said, I mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of clients have been coming to, uh, to us over the past few years, wanting to talk about purpose, higher purpose, you know, social mission, that kind of stuff. So it was a trend that was going on, but I feel like that just got accelerated during COVID that we see even companies in fact, almost every, every company that we talk to or client that, that, that comes to us, uh, is looking to make a difference, not just in their own category, but in the world. And it's a lot of it's to attract and, and motivate employees. But um, I think just increasingly among consumers that, that there's that expectation that if you're going to be a business in society today, you need to be do, doing something to do your part. Um, so, so I think that's a, another reason that purpose is, is more important uh, post-pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's going to have some interesting impact on culture strategy and, you know, how we're thinking about building workplace cultures uh, in different kinds and shapes and forms of, of organizations. Um, you know, I, I think that we probably are already in the place where culture and purpose are somewhat intertwined, like it's not really clear, like how to, which comes first or, you know, what do you focus on when? Because they both, you know, they, they impact each other, right? 
Um, but fr from your perspectives, as we do think about, um, you know, culture as a strategy for going forward, and it's probably always been a strategy, but I, I agree with you over the last year, it's become more prominent for attracting and retaining people. Um, but do both of you think that culture leads or does culture follow as we're thinking about moving into this new framework of, of different kinds of work? Does this culture lead like by purpose or? Yeah, does, does culture take its tone from purpose or does purpose take its tone from culture? Which comes first? That's <laughs> a question. I mean, I do. I think you were alluding to it, and I, and so I don't want to dodge the question, but but I do feel like there's some of both. I think it's a bit of a yin and a yang. Yeah, because especially if you're an established, I think if you're a new company, I think probably purpose comes first. It would be my. But if you're an established company that's kind of wanting to adopt purpose, and you ignore your existing culture, you may run into that problem we were talking about of being inauthentic and and. Um, not being true to who your people and your company are. So in, in that sense, especially for an established company, I think there's got to be some give and take between the two. There's got to be a fit. And would you agree with that, Lisa? I do, I do. And and, and as we know, in, in, in reality, uh, you know, it, it business comes down to to business also in the end, you know, showing an impact on, on the bottom line. And I think as we increasingly see companies uh, realizing, uh, we, we talked about earlier, that purpose helps business, um, a strong culture. I mean, there's so many statistics showing a strong culture, uh, four times bigger profitability, et cetera. So tying all this back to business, uh, is going to help because that also, I think, forces us to make purpose, make uh, employee engagement, all of that real. When you show that purpose, culture, they are connected. A strong culture leads to higher growth. An engaged employee leads to higher profitability, which shows the bottom line. So um, so I agree, but I, I do, uh, I think it's a bit of a yin and, the, yin and the yang, but I think if we can, um, as talking about the future and what, you know, what that looks like, uh, the more of the business community that accepts that purpose and culture has a direct implication on the bottom line and how, how successful they would be that way. It's, it, it, it's going to help all of us. And, and it's, it's really going to help the employees as well, because that will make sure that that purpose is is really infused in the culture. And yes, like Chip said, if it's companies that are around a long time, it's different than if it's a startup. Um, but um, I believe they, they, you can't really separate them and they both have, uh, have true impact on, on um, how successful the business is in the end. So as we're, we're closing here today, um, I'd like to ask each of you to give one prediction of what you think will have the greatest impact uh, for people at work in the coming year. Hmm. Um, okay, well, I'll go. <laughs> I don't know if you'll like this uh, answer or not, and it's contrarian, and I don't know if you'll like it either, Lisa. Um, 
I think one of the biggest and most positive things is that a lot of the people will actually be going back into the office. Uh, and I know there's all this talk about, oh, nobody wants to go back to the way things were. And, and I'm not saying that they'll go back to exactly the way things were. But just as there are a lot of hardships that are caused by people not being able to work at home, I think that there's a lot of maybe misunderstood uh, downsides to people not being able to come together um, in the office. Um, you know, just not having a routine, people being more sedentary, young people not really a being able to learn and model themselves after after other folks. So. Um, so I think it's at least having people come at least some of the time back together in the workplace, I think it's going to be a, a lot more positive. I think we're going to find out we missed it a lot more than we thought we would. I don't know. You may completely disagree with that, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know yet, do I? We'll see when, you know, we start hanging out together again. Um, no, I, um, I'm thinking... I don't know if it's a prediction, more of, of, of a maybe, of a, of a hope uh, that I have. I hope that, you know, we have learned something during this past year and a half that we won't forget too easily, too quickly. Um, I hope that, you know, th the hardships will actually truly help us um, want to create some positive change together. So maybe Chip, we have to be together together to do this um, physically. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about saying, you know, we're hoping that the world is going to be a better place coming out of this. Um, but we, we forget very easily. So I guess not a prediction, but a hope that uh, truly there will be some positive change coming out of this, you know, in the workplace and, and you know, society at large. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I completely echo what both of you have, have hoped for and, and um, you know, thought about around what this looks like for us going forward. And um, I, Chip, I, I share your thought around, you know, what we're actually losing by not being together. And look, we've gained a lot by being apart, um, just in terms of individual lives and removing commutes and flexibility. And, um, but, you know, that's going to come at a price too, right? So I, I do think it's, we do need to keep striving for finding the, the best of everything and keeping an open mind. Uh, to what the future might look like. Um, at Jostle, that, that's how we're approaching the world. Um, you know, we absolutely recognize that there are some aspects of how we work together that is far more vibrant and productive when we are in person. So we're adopting a hybrid model that allows us to have that in-person overlap, but it also gives everyone the flexibility to work from home if they choose to do so. Um, and, but we remain open. Like we are absolutely open to the thought that if it turns out that nobody can work properly in the long term from home, then, well, what are the alternatives? So, um, you know, and I, I think that has to be tied into to, um, purpose and it has to be true to your culture. Um, and you've got to be as leaders listening for those cues, I think, for, for what your people are, are needing and looking for in, in their, their work and their lives. So thank you both for coming onto the show today and sharing your, your thoughts. Um, I'm sure that the work is, is never ending <laughs> for, this, for this topic. And that's the exciting part of our, our, our work lives. So thanks for being here and um, yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you, Bev. It's been great being here. 
Thanks for listening to People at Work. If you enjoyed the episode today, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. We'd love to get this material into the ears, hearts, and minds of as many listeners as possible and would really appreciate your help. Until next time.